Justin Marks, NASCAR driver, NASCAR race winner, sprint car team owner, Daytona 24-hour winner. If you could describe this dinner with racers in one word, what would it be? It would be hey, what? Like one word. Hey, hey. One, one word. One word. And one also, word. I'll one. tell you, guys uh, no, like Justin. Okay, that's ruin okay. the sport for everybody. Uh, okay. Are you good? I'm good. Transcendence. <laughs> <laughs>
Check. No, that's 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 closer. How's that? Is that better? That's good. That's good. Dude, I listened to. So I've been kind of going back through dinner what? with racers, but I gotta tell you, dude, that level five one so, to me is so just good. the best one. So and honestly, good. there's and it's just on a number of levels. Like the content of the stories are are obviously just so so insane. And how Jeff tells it right. is like the best part, yeah. just because that's just how pragmatic he like just yeah. how. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, he, he, he was, like, loving the fact that we thought it was awesome. Yeah. So he just kept going. He's like, oh, well, if you like that, you'll like this. Yeah, and yeah. We're like, what the? Yeah, we I, were, like, messaging each other while it was happening. Yeah. So it was like, dude, this is amazing. Yeah. yeah cool. I could I could see how, I mean, I think that he understands, obviously, I mean, obviously he understands how ridiculous of a thing it was. Yeah. Right. But it was probably, for a lot of people, like, you almost couldn't, you probably got so lost in the details or, like, yeah. in, in what the... The goals, the objectives were. It's almost like you couldn't see the forest from the trees, and like right. you, to, you almost had to be a couple of years removed from it, look back on it, and just go, yeah. "What the hell?" That was the most what ridiculous the hell? thing yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we knew nothing about that story yeah. when we came in, so we're just every, like, oh, really? every element. He, yeah, yeah. We we didn't prompt it. He just sort of brought it out out of nowhere. Yeah. See, he and told us a little bit about it when he was our Andy and I's engineer at TRG. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. So he sort of told us a little bit about it. I knew it was ridiculous. I didn't know it was that to that level. <laughs> Stupid. Just stupid. Yeah, that's unbelievable. So that's our most downloaded episode. Is that right? The no, special? No pressure. Oh, okay. Yes. Sell. Now, <laughs> here's what we haven't told anybody. Cheers, brothers. Good to see Cheers, you. Cheers, man. Good to see you. If you can uh, top that, you get to take Bill Riley home. Mm. <laughs> He's like, I'll make some shit up. I don't know if I can take that from you guys. It's a cornerstone of your social media initiative. Too. It, oh, it is. We have another one. Oh, damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How come you look so f***ing miserable in all the Instagram <laughs> pictures? <laughs> I didn't notice it for like four or five of them. Then I'm like, yeah, that's my Travis thing. Travis doesn't look like he, he's having a very good time. Then I start going through it and everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say, okay, there's a pattern. So my, my favorite part about that is um, I don't get stopped per se, but every now and then somebody will come up to me at a track and be like, hey, can I get a photo with you? And it's like, it, it's happened maybe four times yeah. over the year. And so my follow-up is always, sure, do you want me in character? And they're always thrown off by what I'm saying. Like, do you, I don't normally look like this. I'm not just <laughs> angry. Know? Outside. So, and what's funny is every time I'm like, no, I guess not. And so then I just take a regular picture. I'm like, hold on, let's do it again. And then I do the face. And every time I'm like, oh, yeah, that one's better. Like, yeah. yeah. People like me angry. So How did the one yeah. with Joey go? Meh. Really? No, no, he was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying to remember. See, the thing is, like, so much. I, I try to remember stuff that's happened yeah. in my career and stuff right. with him. And it's like sometimes I wonder – if I get de- if I if the details if I mess up details because sure. it's been oh. ten years yeah, or it's been sure. like it whatever, but it's always go sensational. Yeah, it's the best way to go. Um, well, yeah. Now he went really well. Uh, it really helped having your preloaded questions. Yeah. yeah. So did he talk about p- almost trying to punch me, Casalo? Did he remember that? Oh, he remembered that. Okay, good. Um, James Stevens had to hold him back in the pre tent. He. We uh, want we want talking. your take on all the stories you told us to ask about. Yeah. Okay, but I was okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. He said you, you must I have was, watched that on TV or something. Or, no, no, no. Or? I wasn't there. I was at the hauler when they got back. Yeah. Like, yeah. like James brought him back like in his arms. Yeah. And, and Joey was like just ready to just destroy the inside of the hauler. What we learned is you don't touch Joey Han's hat because apparently no. Sala like flicked his hat. And you don't flip him off. Right. I don't know if he, if he said that. No, he ma- he, he mainly was like red. he was like you don't touch this hat. Yeah. And he was wearing a hat, so yeah. we're like, cool, we won't we won't yeah. do that. We, yeah. yeah. Joey's one of my favorite people in the whole world, and he's an incredible person and like my total brother. But he has got this like he's like five percent completely f-ing loony bin crazy. The first time we met, he and I actually talked was at your wedding. Really? And I told him this on the air, but basically we're like all going outside. I don't remember you remember this because you were probably worse off than I was. 
but there was like a one of those tour bus like buses mm-hmm. to drive people around the resort. Yeah. And it's like McDowell, Alley, me, yeah. you. We're all trying to hotwire it. Yeah. Not, not really, <laughs> but we're trying. It, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's like, yeah, no clue. <laughs> um, but anyways, Joey and I kind of like turn a corner and say something to each other. And he like looks at you. He's like, who's this guy? And you're like, it's Eversley. He's like, oh, hey, man. How's it going? But he was like ready to kill. Like immediately. He like, just has this. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Like, I'm at the wedding. I'm probably okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like he's invited, man. Relax. It's <laughs> right, cool. Right. Right. Yeah. The, uh, there's a great story. This is a shit story. <laughs> For some reason, I don't know when guys get this. Some of our greatest stories are how bad somebody had to take a shit at some point. Right, right, right. Somewhere. There's a lot of that involved. Are we? Is it? Should we start this thing? Oh yeah, we should start. Ready? <laughs> okay, so back to shit. <laughs> okay. Do you want? Do you need a fancy intro? I'll just cut no, it no, back no, out. No, no, no. I figured you <laughs> just you, delete it later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, next to the stage. No, we did. My my wife tells this story. I I tell this story to my wife, and she cries. She thinks it's so funny, but. Just because she knows me, but we're leaving Woodcliffe, Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey, for the BMW to visit BMW North America. It's me and Joey Han and Brian Sellers, and so we 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 go to the headquarters like a you know a week before, a couple of days before we have to be at Lime Rock. And, you know, Lime Rock's a big one for BMW. BMW yeah. And um, oh man, so we're we're leaving, and I don't know if I had some bad fish at the BMW place or something like that, but I'm like I'm starting to feel it's it, and good. I'm starting to be in pain. And then all of a sudden, like it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Like right now, it's happening. Right, and I'm in the in back, in the back of this rental car, and we're in dead stop traffic on the toll plaza of the Tappan Zee Bridge. Right. Yes. Yeah, no yeah. Escape. There's nowhere to no go. No escape. And I'm looking across like six lanes of dead stop traffic at like the woods, and I'm like, I'm I'm gonna make a run for it, and then we'll just figure this out after, like whatever, because he back. can't do anything. Circle back. Yeah. And Brian Sellers is just losing it in the front seat. <laughs> like dying he's, laughing. Oh, he's like crying. Yeah, like he yeah. thinks it's a funny. And I'm in like a fetal, and I'm shaking, yeah. and like right. the whole deal. I made it across the bridge and got to like this Chevron station on the other side. But it was just like sitting in that traffic right there. It was just those guys were like, I seriously want to kill. Like, it's so bad it gets to that point where you're like, I like I could probably justifiably end my life right now. Like, be okay. Like, so I would I would do something horrible right. And those guys just think it's the funniest thing. I'm like, put the spackle the inside of this rental car. It's not gonna be funny here in a minute. But anyway, (laughs) I don't know if that's too much information, but. All right, thanks yeah, for coming, yeah, right. and that's the show. <laughs> Enjoy your dip. Yeah. <laughs> it is a good dip. Yeah, that is. So we ordered the Rob Kaufman queso and got this instead on accident. No. And it's pretty good. So it looks like cat food, but it's tasty. So Joey's side of the story was that they put some, like, bait fish or something because you guys went to Lanier mm-hmm. for a day, and uh, you didn't find the one. And they the hid one some in your bag, and, and like, it stunk. Yeah. But you couldn't figure out where it was. Well, we had these we had these OGO bags. Yeah. They're OGO bags that had, uh, this is like when the backpack game was like just starting to really kick <laughs> the into high gear, right? Game. <laughs> Sean, you know like, that you game. Know, hidden, I do. Hidden compartments. Fashion and like, forward guy. You know, yeah. Huge iPod. Right. <laughs> Square with like you know, a plastic thing, yeah, clear exactly, thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh. He found a he found a compartment in my in my backpack that I didn't know existed, and he filled it up with chicken liver catfish bait. And <laughs> it it honestly there there were pr- every time I would travel after that there'd be these moments, like I'm in the right. plane yeah. or I'm in the rental car, and I'm just like, God, what is that? What is that? Or the hotel room? And or it's something the like same that. smell that's following you. And everywhere. it's starting to screw with my head because I'm right. like thinking I've got some sort of like halitosis situation, right. or I'm right. like like skin smelling disease. my skin. Yeah. I'm like, what is happening? He's following me is everywhere. This a sign of a stroke? I didn't find it for six or seven months or something like that. Wait, did it yeah, still last it. six or seven months? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's like I don't think it's like sustainably farmed free range material. I think it's like pretty gnarly <laughs> processed stuff. But <laughs> yeah, it was. 
It was pretty good. He it's, thought that was funny too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of sort of being in a in a quote unquote different situation, I mean, one of the reasons we we thought you'd be a really good fit for us is we haven't really had a guy like you on, so to speak. You know, somebody <coughs> who kind of came from money, came young from money, and kind of had that quote unquote rich kid label put mm-hmm. onto him when he entered the, the 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 racing scene. And you've done an excellent job of first transcending that. I mean, the fact that you won a nationwide race on a road course in the fucking wet. Xfinity. Xfinity. Excuse me. Xfinity race. What'd you say? I said nationwide. nationwide. I didn't even oh, catch it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotta keep sponsorship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the fact that you're able to win on a road course in the wet against all those guys uh, would say that you've definitely transcended that. Um, but initially, like, at this point in your life, I think you've embraced kind of what you are and your place within the sport. Um, and it'd be it's, it's good to just have somebody freely talk about what the experience is like for somebody like you coming in. Yeah, well, that's that's a very fair assessment, what, what you said. I mean, that's because it's, it's absolutely the truth. I am at a point now in my career where I just, like a couple of years ago, I just went like, I'm not going to be, right. I'm not going to try to hide this. I'm not going to try to, like, I'm going to embrace yeah. it because I work really hard. Well, when we know? first met uh, in 2009, um I think it was 08 yeah. or 09. Yeah, 09. You, know, yeah. you were you were with TRG uh, in the sports car side of the world, and uh, you know, and all we were told was like treat Justin like he's a pro, don't treat him like he's a guy bringing money. Even though we're like, yeah, we know the deal, dude. Um, That's awesome. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part of putting that deal together with yeah. Kevin Buckler was him saying, um, you know, Andy Lally, your teammate, is available from from for some extra coaching if you wanted. At that point, I'd raised like four years for BMW, yeah, being NASCAR right. whole kind of thing. He's like, you know, he'll look at data with you and he'll <laughs> all this kind of stuff. I'm like, Kevin, I, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. But my point is you were trying to downplay the f- that the, the gentleman driver aspect yeah. of it, and I think today you're very different about it, just sort of getting this is what it is. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't know. Well, I say I don't know what it is. I mean, I think a couple of years ago I sort of I sort of went through this this transition where, where I said, you know, like I'm not – I can't control what other people say about me. Like I can't right. – no matter how hard you work to try to make yourself look a certain way or, or be accepted a certain way in the sport, you're not going to change people's opinions of you. Yeah. So obviously I've, I've been – given essentially an unfair advantage in life right and like and you know being able to have have some funding to be able to give me opportunities right but i sort of always thought you know it's not it's not who gets it's not the opportunity or who gets the opportunity that makes the difference it's what you make of the opportunity right and no and in this sport in all honesty in this sport to be able to get these days to the top of the level at some point you have you have had to have some sort of advantage maybe it wasn't money right right maybe it was you know it's it's connection somebody you knew or it's like you know it takes it takes it takes money for somebody to buy your first you know go-kart or whatever i mean it's like you know i think ryan you've 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 proven that you've worked really hard for a lot of your great opportunities but you grew up in a racing family and your father worked in racing for a long time that gave you an opportunity to have a great example that was my yourself like you know everybody has it yeah so so for me my whole thing was you know all i want is the respect of my peers right that's all i want yeah i want to work hard enough at this because i didn't i didn't grow up racing and all of a sudden, it was like, oh, I'm winning races. I'm going to pursue this. Right. Like, no, I decided I was <coughs> going to try to be a race car driver before I sat ever in anything. Right. Like, when I was 17 years old, I was, like, playing NASCAR racing on the PC <laughs> and watching the Winston Cup Series on TV. And I went, this looks really cool. This is what I want to try to do for my career. And I, I had no I, mean, I had never driven anything in my life. Right. So so I don't know if you, if you just say, here's somebody who just didn't really have any natural ability, ability right. or talent that was just going out there and just working really hard to try to make it happen. Right. So, you know, I... I, you know, so we've had some successes, right? I mean, I've, I've won a lot of IMSA races and won the 24 Hours of Daytona, but those always had a little bit of an asterisk in my mind because my teammates were Joey Hand and Bill Oberlin and Boris Said, right. and, you know, 24 Hours of Daytona, it was, you know, me sort of 
you know, them trying to find a couple hours of the race for me to drive between right. double stints from Andy Lally and Bergmeister and Patrick Long. And I, you know, my crew chief comes to me, you know, when the sun comes up and he's like, I'm going to try to get you in this car. And I'm like, I don't, I, you're, we're fine here. Like, right. you know, I want to win this Let's race. This is this. awesome. Sure. Like just watching these guys do this thing. So, so a big watershed moment for me in my career was that race at Mid-Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, yeah, it was, it just played right into my wheelhouse. Like I've always been like, I've always been just a little bit behind everybody else. And I, I think it's just because I didn't really grow up doing it. I didn't, right. you know, so I just, you know, I mean, natural ability plays, plays a big role in this. And while I've always been good enough to put myself in a position, you know, like be a decent first driver in an IMSA race, right. you know, put the car in a decent position for the pro to go do his thing. You know, I've never truly carried the weight 100 percent on on my shoulders on an equal playing field. But right. but my my niche that the the type of racing that I've I felt like I am now, I am completely on an even playing field and I can compete with anybody is in the rain. Right. For yeah. whatever reason, I don't know what it is, That's but right. I've just been confident in the yeah. rain. I've been comfortable in the rain, and I've worked really hard to to be good in the rain. So, and especially for some you know for some reason Thank in you. the stock cars especially. So it just, that was like the perfect storm. So it was a very unique situation in the sport, but you know, there's guys like Sam Hornish in the race and Ryan <laughs> Blaney. And yeah. there's, there's not like a lot of talent in the race and, Andy and Lally, um, yeah. Andy Lally. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. some, you know, guys with, with a lot of talent and experience and, and all that. And, and to win on that day was like, okay, I've, I have now finally done something that I can say, like I did that. Right. Like I did that. Yeah. Right. I mean, You're so it's like I needed to bring the, the sponsorship to drive for Chip Ganassi racing sure. and I needed to, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, but I mean, in NASCAR, you know, it's not like bringing Jeff Braun's DSR to the runoffs. I mean, like in NASCAR, <laughs> like every, I mean, really, there's, there are yeah, a yeah. lot of really good cars out there and there's a lot of really good teams out there. And right. so, so yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess the one thing that, that made an impact on me when I was coming up in racing, seeing a lot of other kids sort of with the same opportunities that were just not taking it very seriously. We're all about the show. We're about the social media pictures. I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to. I'm going to try to make the, I'm going to return the favor to, you know, the racing gods or the, or the other gods or whatever it is that gave me this opportunity. I'm going to return the favor to them by working my ass off and trying to make something of this. So, we've, you know, I've built some good businesses here in North Carolina and I've, you know, been able to, to win. It's, it's, you know, some big races. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. I, I, I think it's a good example I'm setting for my children. And so I don't, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's a tough there are there are just a lot of people out there that um, just need to just be a little happier. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's no. Just what a are you saying? Are you, why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's there's like the the people out there that want to tear other people down. It's just sure. a really sad thing. I mean, it's just you know, life is. Well, so that, well like when you walk into the scene, because like you know, when you first come into the scene, I I, I think back to like '09 and um, you know. If you're in a customer, if you're a PR guy in a customer-driven team, you, you're one of three or four other well-to-do guys that are there that we kind of have to handhold. And thinking back to a year like 2009, there are some people we all know in common that, let's just say, when the group of us working go to dinner, we might make fun of those guys. You were never one of those guys that we made fun of because you one treated everybody with respect and you were just a regular guy and you really played kind of the means you came from down. Uh, but kind of to go with that. Uh, you know, you've since started businesses, you've done all those other things, but, but kind of coming from your side was, was what I've always wanted to know is when you first start, you have to know how people are looking at you, right? You know, guys like us and like, ah, oh, another asshole. Um, is I've that, ne I've never thought you were an asshole. 
You're lying. You're lying. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm You're not lying, lying at all. I, I like you, Sean. But like when a when a when a well-to-do, especially a young guy, like sometimes if a guy's in his fifties, you're like, oh well, he made his money, now he's going mm-hmm. having fun. Good for him. But like a young guy, you know, they kind of came from money. Um, is there any when you first just thinking for the for the fans at large listening to this kind of stuff? When you first walk in, is there any extra pressure or sort of a a, a stigma you felt like you had to overcome when you walk in? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always felt I've always felt like um, I have to I have to do more to get the same respect. Like you have to make a bigger impact right. to have the same sort of reaction from the environment, sure. right? So it's like you look at a guy like Paul Menard, right? Paul Menard, who raced for um, you know a long time, was very very dedicated to his career. Obviously, has had a tremendous opportunity. You know, he won won races, made a chase. Ran really, really well for a long time by all accounts. Like, like a, like a, like a, a, a very talented race car driver that, that belonged everywhere that he raced. <clears throat> you know, the guy won the Brickyard 400, not on attrition, not because he, not on fuel mileage. Like he went out there and kicked everybody's ass to give his father his first ever win at the Brickyard. You know, the guy has to win the Brickyard 400 and deliver John Menard his first win at the Speedway for anybody to say like, uh, yeah, I mean, like maybe right. he did a pretty good job that right. day or something right. like that. I mean, and uh, you know. So I mean I think going back to it, you have to you have to you have to do a little bit more to get the same because that stigma right. is difficult to right. overcome. Right. And people find excuses for why you had some success. Yeah. Right. Because right. they don't want to accept yeah. that you got the opportunity because of your circumstances right. and, and you did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Like you can't do both. Right. Yeah. Right. So why did you hate him, Eversley? Why did I never, you, I never you? said I hate Justin? Uh, Jesus. When we first met, you were getting well. I mean. When was your first year racing? Ever? Yeah. Like you're I, doing like World I Challenge. I was in World Challenge. Yeah, World Challenge in 2001. Yeah, that was my first year as a mechanic. And so you're like 18 or so. Yeah, something Because you're like yeah. a year or two older than me. So we're the same age 20, essentially. Yeah. And you're showing up getting World Challenge rides. And I'm getting to turn wrenches for a living. And hopefully one day maybe something mm, will come out of yeah. it. And so it's like any – and this is more my problem than your problem. It wasn't just like that Justin Marks guy like – I'm okay with this dude, but just, you know, it was like sure. any young guy getting to drive race cars when I wasn't, it was, it just sucked, right. you, yeah, you know, because that's all I wanted yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and you were good too. That was the next thing. It's like, you know, rich kids getting big rides and he's good. And then like, and then the like big kickers when like friends of yours are like, that guy's awesome. Cause you're like, no, like he can't be a hate good him. dude, successful and come from a good circumstance. It's like, ah, you know. So the funny thing is we have another weird background, you and I, that your wife, Aaron, yeah, and yeah. I went to high school together, yeah. coincidentally. Yeah. And we started seeing the like – sprawling posts, metropolis of Winder, Winder Georgia. Georgia yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> so we started seeing like posts on Facebook. It would be like Justin and Aaron Peppers yeah. were, at a, were at a restaurant in Lawrenceville or something. And I'm like, why was Justin Marks in Lawrenceville? And it's like not a race weekend. It doesn't add up. Like, I can't shake this guy. Yeah, I'm like, dude, stop <laughs> My life broke. <laughs> um, we didn't know it was all about you. It was all it's my podcast, ploy. Sean. Right. So, <laughs> no, um, and it didn't make any sense. And then, uh, like, we're like, maybe they, like, Lally and I are trying to figure it out. Like, maybe they met at a petite party because we used to have these huge parties at Lally's house where everybody, like, the house would be like a house party scene from mm-hmm. a movie with 300 people or whatever. And uh, eventually, like, you guys start dating, getting serious, and then now you're married with two kids. And um, I remember you would come down to Charlotte from Charlotte with Aaron and she would stay at her parents' house and then you would kind of go hang out with sellers or something. And then like one weekend you came down and sellers was out of town. Mm. 
So you like hit me and Lally up and we went out. And so we ended up having a good time. And then like two or three weeks later, like randomly, it's like a Friday at six o'clock at night, we have the weekend off and like someone's like, and I go to the front door and it's Justin Marks with a case of PBR at our front door. And he's like, what's up? And I'm like, hey, and you're like, what's drink? And I was like, okay, this guy's cool. Like he showed up with beer just to hang Beer's out. Beer's the great equalizer. He, he's he's <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah. But then we got to spend time together and like, you know, just, yeah. you're just a dude, I'm a dude and we both get to do cool shit. And that I think really, just getting to know you, I knew you weren't like a douchebag like some other people we know in this world that are pretentious as hell, more mm -hmm. so about the off-track off yeah. stuff than the on-track stuff. And um, But what really opened my eyes to you was like all the things you do, like with the go-kart facility at, at GoPro Motorplex, uh, you know, the, the sprint car team, mm -hmm. the K&N the team, like all the things you're always working on. You're always like you, you go to real meetings, you deal with real businesses. That, that kind of thing no one else in your position does. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot that you, you said that. Um, you know, I think that, I think a couple of things. You know, my father my father came from very little, and, and everything he's he's gotten in his life, he's worked his ass off for that. And he's, I think, presented that as an example to my sister and I as we were growing up and yeah. coming up, that it was like, you know, nothing was – nothing was just sort of put on us, you know, it was just, it, it was just a good example set. And I think that, you know, regardless of what career you're in or where you came from or where you're going or anything like that, what ultimately makes a difference in this life is just how you treat people. And I think, 100%, yeah, and 100%. I think that, and the rest doesn't matter. Well, and I, and I would say like, I agree with your statement that you have to work that much harder to sort of get the respect among your peers and whatnot, but it also shows how easy it is to get to be a normal guy like all you had to do was show up with a case of beer and just want to hang out but just be yourself yeah that's who and you just were be a guy as opposed to not hanging out with the guys and then posting pictures on instagram saying you know my every day is better than your best vacation yeah right well I, you know i think that i think that you know what like my wife she's she she sort of thinks i have like dad issues and like what i mean by that is <clears throat> like everything i've you see my father he did a great job i think raising two good people and yeah. my sister and i and people understand that relationships are important and being selfless is important and giving as much as you can is important and hard work is important that's sort of the currency of success is hard work and um you know, but he, he has been so successful and so admired, and I've been in the corner my whole life watching those accolades come raining down that he casts a tremendous shadow. Yeah. And so a lot of, so I have this thing where, I have this thing in my head where, like, everything that I want to do, I can't do it for anything less than, like, taking it to the absolute extreme. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, my, my wife tells me, and I think she's, we talk about this, and I think that she's probably right, you know, I am never going to be as successful or as intelligent in business as my father is. So I wonder if subconsciously there's there's a desire in my head to continue to try to do things that impress my father. Right. So like I you know it's like I, I got a wild hair to to do like a triathlon so I signed up for an Ironman right and trained right. for six months and it, you know and then I wanted to do like I want to do a long running race and so I did like a thirty mile ultra marathon and now it's right. like I, I want I want to go cl you know I want to go climbing like when I was like when I was yes yeah, so I want to go climb Mount Everest and it's like everything is just to the maximum to the maximum and my and my wife is like I don't understand why you can't just be happy running five k's or whatever yeah. but we talk about it and we're like <laughs> maybe that's what it is is like no i have to i have to do things right. i right. have to work super super hard to try to accomplish things that are difficult to do and i think a lot of it just comes out of being 
coming from that sort of environment. It makes well, sense. So on that, you know, because um, your dad, from what I know, is not much of a racing guy, right? No, not at all. at all. Right? He thinks it's ridiculous. And yet you have, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's like the world's he's worst. Right. right. He thinks it's like the world's worst business. <laughs> well, <laughs> the world's so your worst dad industry. Is the smartest reporter. <laughs> but, yeah. but that's my point. It's like you've managed to build not just like going out and having fun, but you've managed to build legitimate businesses mm. out of the sport. You know, uh, GoPro Motorplex appears to be a fairly profitable venture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're in the carding import-export business. You know, you've got several little pockets in, in racing. Do you feel like your endeavors in racing, because all of them are fairly successful, that you can look back and go, that's mine. Yeah. I didn't use family yeah. connections yeah. to build this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you had some capital to start. Yeah. But other than that, you know, every business you've had has been 100%. Cool. Yeah, I mean, the GoPro Marplex is a great, is a great business. And right. It was expensive to build, and we had to use family money to build it. But it is right. a profitable business. It's right. a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's popular. People love it. Right. It makes money. It right. contributes to the industry here in Charlotte. It contributes right. to the region from an entertainment and tourism standpoint. Right. Um, you know, families have moved here with their kids from other parts of the country so their kids can race at the GoPro Motorplex and, and pursue a career here in Charlotte where all the NASCAR teams are. Right. I mean, that's like that's unbelievable, right? You're yeah. creating an opportunity yeah. for people, and that's awesome. And we've got. You know, Austin Sindrick started racing go-karts at our place, and he's, you know, now probably going to drive. I mean, I'm guessing he's going to drive that Penske Xfinity car next year. I don't know, but, I mean, he's driving trucks, and he's, you yeah. know, doing you know, all and kinds of it. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, we've got the PK kids, right, the Fittipaldi kids <laughs> that are over there running, yeah. like, you know, yeah. I think he's in F3 or he's in F- or GP3 or something like that right, right. now and doing well. I mean, so so that's that's awesome. Right. On the import distribution side, those businesses are, that, those businesses are really, really really special to me because we started those on on cash um generated from the other business or from debt that we took on from the local bank based on our our assets on hand and everything like that and we have built a great import distribution business where we've we're capturing tons of market share we're bringing new products to carding we're breaking down barriers of entry as far as affordability we're uniting the series nationwide we're uniting the formats nationwide we're really really trying hard to do something to create a place where people can get involved in racing more affordably and more easily than right. than they have in 15, 20 years. Right. It takes time, but right. but that's something that's really, really cool because that, that can be a truly lasting impact yeah. in the industry, right? I mean, right. That, that can be there after I'm, and it's after a legit I'm gone. Business, and yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And so... And that, but that's what I respect is that, yeah. like, you know, your father, from what I understand, came from basically the Silicon Valley tech industry. Yeah. And you could have just as easily kind of take what you learn from him, take his connections, and then basically go invest your time and energy into the same kind of industry. Yeah, go work for the family design. firm work or something. Work for the family yeah, firm, exactly. Right. And you, you've completely gone that 180 from that. You're still making very solid business moves, but they're in areas where yeah. there is absolutely no prior history of your family being involved. Right, and I exactly. love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. Thank you. So that's, yeah. that's just kissing ass. There's no question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Speaking of beer. I love it. One of the best stories you've ever it. told me. Yeah. Oof. You know what I want to hear. I do. Yeah. yeah. We can yeah. bleep out any manufacturers you want. <laughs> it matters. Well, it I don't know if it matters matter. now. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> 10 matter. years ago, I don't like. Oh, statute of limitations. We're <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. We're good. Okay, so racing for BMW. It's the last race of the year in 2006, Petit Le Mans, and we've been told that BMW is not funding racing in North America in 2007 because they were in between, I believe, sort of in between generations on the M3, yep. and there was no real car to race in yeah, 2007. Yeah. So essentially they, they sort of took this hiatus. Well, at the same time, it, as we sort of all knew this was coming, right? So guys were lining up the pan, their Panos deals for 2007 right. with PTG, and, right. and uh, you know, Boris had his other stuff going on, and so everybody was kind of figuring out uh, where they were going to go, what they were going to do. So... I'd always wanted to go NASCAR racing, and so I. Uh, so in 2006, I started 
uh, I started racing stock cars and just getting some experience in stock right, cars. Right. So I was struggling that year with being racing for a two-car team that had a budget for one car. And for right. whatever contractual or marketing obligations or whatever reason they wanted to, was fielding two cars, and and we were not the lead car, and that was difficult on me. So you yeah. felt like you were fun in the whole thing? Huh? Did you feel like you were fun in the whole thing? That year yeah. is the only year in my career that I raced for a salary. Wow. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Good for you. So what I did, what we did at BMW was I, I brought sponsorship to go World Challenge Racing, and then I brought sponsorship to do the 2004 Rolex Sports Car Series deal, yeah. and I went in and said, and said I, I've got funding to be able to take care of my ride, but if I go fast and can go as fast as my teammates and demonstrate that I'm good enough, I want a job. Yeah. And in 2005, I raced for free, but didn't, they didn't pay me, and right. I covered all my expenses. Right. In 2006, I got paid a salary. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, which was awesome. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, you, know, you were in your place. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I was struggling with being the second car. Um, and just for competitive reasons. Yeah, yeah I just yeah. was sort of, and it got, it, it just really got to the point where, like, we weren't, I mean, they were, you know, it was not a properly fun, look, we were running the, the, the car, this is 2006, we were running the cars that they ran the V8s in in 2001. Right. right. Okay, yeah, against, yeah. like, the brand new Ferraris and all this kind of, I mean, sure. it was, it was sort of, I remember about halfway through the year going, from the perspective of BMW and from the sponsors, like, what is the value in this? Like, yeah, why are right, we even yeah. going to the racetrack? It was really, really rough. I yeah. mean, I think the team had between two cars, two podiums all year. So by the time we got to Petit Le Mans, the train had completely left the station for me. I was already basically, like, contracted to go <clears throat> race in ARCA in 2007 and just start my, uh, my career in stock car racing. So we're at Petit Le Mans. 15 cars in the race qualified 11th and 13th and we're basically running around and you'll have to forgive my I'm a little naive on on remembering the details of, of the mechanics of the car yeah. and exactly what happened but we're in the race we're like a lap down it's four hours six hours uh, maybe four hours five hours in something like that and it's a 10 hour race for those that don't yeah really yeah so it's that. a long race so um so we're cruising around, like, no shot to win, right? Yeah, like, yeah. just, I'm, like, looking at my watch, like, just waiting to get to North Carolina so I can <laughs> right. drive these awesome stock cars. And I'm kind of <laughs> just, you know what I mean, just trying to enjoy the weekend with my teammates and my right. friends and everything. So car, uh, I think we had a throttle position sensor failure. We had some sort of failure in the ECU in the car, and the car, the you know, we had fly-by-wire throttle, so it was an electrical connection. So there was some sort of a software glitch or some sort of electrical issue in the car, and the car lost power, and we rolled to a stop in turn like three top okay. of the s's top of the hill, up there right. and uh and so you know the crew can't help get the car back to right i don't know if the rules have changed now or something but but you I, sort back of wait then, for like a yellow and a toe. Get, yeah, yeah like you can't get like the crew can't jump over the wall and work on the car and yeah, get it rolling right. and then you drive back on the track come back to pit lane or you disqualifies you or something so the driver has to basically get the car running again otherwise you would so they never threw the yellow because i pulled off at the at the flag station yeah, yeah. and uh and so they're yelling at me through the fence, and I'm, like, looking at stuff, and I'm trying to figure out what's wrong. And they're, like, cycle the mains, and they're, like, run to the, go this different map, you know, do all this kind of stuff, try to get the car running. And they're, like, we just need to get it fired up. Because I think for a couple of laps it had started, like, the timing had gone awry, okay. and, like, it was just not running very well. And yeah. finally it just shut off. So um, so then they're, like, all right. They're, so we're finally we, we run through all of our protocols. They're sitting there at the fence. I'm sitting at the fence. We're kind of just looking at each other. At this point, we're, you know, 10 laps down, 20. I, I mean, we've been sitting there for like 15 or 20 You're minutes. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they never threw the yellow or anything. So I'm sitting there, and they're like, all right, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do here. So they all get in the ATV or the yeah, little ATV, and they leave to go back to the pits. And they're like, we'll just wait for a yellow, hang out the car. 
you know, we could run green for like an hour, right? I don't know how long I'm sitting there. So I go up to the to the flag worker station, and I'm like, that's that's about right. That's a good way to finish this. Deal, yeah, right. right. So All like, equals out. And uh, some dudes, Justin, Justin, behind the fence, and I turn around, and so I'm, I went to college in Chico, California, and and uh, there's a guy wearing a Chico State T-shirt, right, in <laughs> Brazelton, in Brazelton, Georgia. And he's like, hey, man, Chico. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And he's like, he's poured a Sierra Nevada, which is which is our our beer from yeah. Chico, California. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. got it in like one of these tall, oh, y- a shit. yard of beer, right? <laughs> right? Kind of right, a thing, right, yeah. Right. And he's like, come hit this, brother. Come do this. And I'm like, oh. You know, and I'm like, I can't, you know, there's like, that's awesome. But, yeah. and I'm sitting there, he's like, come on, man. And it, like, so all the stuff starts going through my head. Like I'm over it. I'm just over yeah, it. Right? right. So I'm like, we're out of the race. The car is broken. We're yeah. out of the race. Right. So I go over and drink the guy's yard of beer. <laughs> <laughs> a full yard of IPA. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've been, I think I've been like double standing. Like I've been in the car for like an hour and 45 <laughs> right. minutes. So like fully dehydrated, depleted, everything. So I, I drink this guy's yard of beer. We do some pro hugs, some high fives. I go back to the, back to the, um, corner worker station and and i sit there and it's like hitting me and i'm like damn it justin you idiot and then right about the time i'm like well i'm like drunk feeling it yeah Um, the guys come flying back up on the atv and they're like throw this fuse in the box like the fuse you know e9 (laughs) or whatever like in the fuse box and i'm like come on oh no so i take this fuse i (laughs) pop it in there i turn the car on sure fires right up (laughs) like all right bring the thing around Bring the thing around, come back to the pits, and I had to, I, we had to go behind the wall because the yeah. ECU was still sort of screwing up. But they were like, come back to the pits, we'll go behind the wall. So I get back in the car, <laughs> we're green. I get back in the car, I put my belt on, I'm driving, I'm going down a back stretch, like the Audis are going by me, the whole, you know, the whole kind of right. thing. I'm yeah, coming yeah. back to pit road, and I'm like, drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'm sitting there going, I'm not drunk, I'm not drunk, but I'm like, but you I, know, I, you're not sober. I, yeah, yeah, I'm like, if I, if I, if they breathalyze me, so, so anyway, so we come back to the pits and then they die. Like we go behind the wall, diagnose it. I think Brian gets in the car, or Nick Johnson or whoever, and I, I didn't drive the car again, and, and we fin- we ended up actually finishing the race. So I don't know if I'm the only person that's driven a lap of Petit Le Mans under green, legally DOT drunk. Yeah, but I probably would have blown like a .08 if I'd have gotten out of the car and, and done that. I mean, it's a terrible story. <laughs> I mean, it's all, it's really story. awful. Like, it's really, really awful. The best story. But, so, I mean, it's like, so here I am, like, I think back on it, I go, like, I'm a horrible person. Like, I'm a terrible, horrible person. <laughs> We're wearing helmets. Right? Yeah, and, and I'm like, I'm like, that's just incredibly, unpre- the problem is that you have to understand, like, the lead up to this race and the lead up to where I was in my life and my mindset. And it's like, not it wasn't stupid. I'm just like, we're out of the race. Yeah. This guy's offering me a beer. Like I just, right. I need a little bit of happiness in this like <laughs> yeah. dark storm I'm going through right now. And like, um, you're 25, you know? Yeah. So, right. so the whole thing. And, and, uh, but then, you know, on the flip side of that is that you talk to Hans took and you talk to some of these guys yeah, yeah. about racing in the seventies oh, and yeah. the eighties. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that just era. pales in comparison to <laughs> right. the culture of racing for a long time. So Plus that one guy loves you a petite now. Story. The huh? Chico guy loves you yeah. now. Yeah. Like that kid's, yeah. that, that dude's mm-hmm. kids are named like Justin Mark. And Justin. Yeah. <laughs> Hollywood and, and racing have a lot of parallels in, and I'll, I'll say the negatives, but there's also positives in that too, which is there's con artists because it's a vanity-driven, ego-driven business, uh-huh. right? You know, I don't care if it's taking that Instagram photo of yourself at, at Daytona or if it's the Instagram photo of you on set. It's still the same boat, yeah. right? It's still the same desire to impress and make something that you're not. So with that comes the same degree of con men who are willing to sell you on whatnot. Um, arguably, I'd say the one thing that makes Hollywood even worse is that it's even more nebulous in terms of what you're creating. Like, at least at the end of the day, you have a race car that's got to hit on track in racing. You don't yeah, necessarily sure. have that in yeah. Hollywood. Um, but the flip side is 
there are also genuine people. Mm-hmm. There really are. Yes. And, and, and what you find is that, you know, like we're all sitting here because we managed to find each other as the people that for whatever reason we all get along and yeah, we all yeah. gel in the sport. And it's the exact same thing. And Like, I mean, I haven't really done movies as much as I have television, right. but in the television world, it's the exact same thing. You still choose you who your, you go you to dinner with. You find the real yeah, guys yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you build kind of that trench style right. bond for life. It's the same yeah. thing. Does that mean on the flip side that all those like douchebags are having lunch? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 like, I've developed up? the term. It's like three-way selfies. Like, what's up? Well, I, I have a, I, actually, this came from racing, actually, because uh, <laughs> we all know, like, actually, and we're going to talk about this, but uh, um, a lot of people in the marketing PR business think we do the same job. Yeah, right. Uh, we've right. had this conversation, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I don't pretend to be a marketing PR guy because I'm terrible at PR, but... Um, uh, but at the end of the day, I pride myself more on the products that I create more so sure. than the, sort of the nebulous bullshit sure. service. Um, and so I don't go to dinner with people that just sort of talk and solve the world's problems. And I've, I've come up with a term I call it the douchoisee. Douchoisee. The douchoisee, which are the guys who are sitting there solving the world's problems with racing yeah. by talking to the other guys solving the world's problems with racing, but none of them are actually doing no the goddamn doing work. No one's anything about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so... But it's the same excellent. thing in TV. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's a deep rabbit hole if you want to go down it because it's yeah. like, it, it's just, it's amazing now that I've had, uh, it comes with getting, it comes with, I think, getting a little older and getting perspective right. in your life and having a family and being able to sort of see the forest from the trees a little bit right, more. Yeah. And it's easier to recognize what everybody's trajectories are and yeah. what their motives are. And you kind of like take a step back and look at everything. And, and it's amazing how deep and complex the psychology yeah, um, sure. of this yeah. sport is. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's totally fascinating. I mean, well, so let's, let's, uh, I kind of want to take this to a little bit more serious direction if you're cool with, with where I'm, you know where I'm going with this on the business side. So you wrote a, a blog, I don't know when that came out, a few months ago, yeah. kind of explaining what you feel the problems with motorsports are. And on a surface level, I agree with what you wrote, <laughs> but I have a, some, a sure. very major criticism of it. I'm serious about this. I have a major criticism of it. And, and so let's get into this. So there Of my assessment? Yeah, but, but, but I'll tell you why. Because we're actually, I agree with everything you're saying, but, but I'll point out what I believe is the problem. Okay. So you wrote a blog that basically said that the fundamental problem with motorsports, and you're, you understand business because you've, you've driven as a guy who's brought, motors, who's brought money to, to a team. You come from a family that comes from big business kind of money. You've developed successful small businesses, so you kind of get the sport. You get what a small business has to do. You get what a big business has to do, um, and and you wrote a, a fairly poignant article about the challenge with motorsport right now is that there's not a lot of new thinking. Basically, is is the inherent argument, you know. And you use the example of like Zappos. Zappos is a, co- is a new company that started what ten years ago, mm-hmm. has been hugely successful. And it's because they took a very bold move with their marketing to say, we're going to offer overnight shipping and everything that we order. And, <coughs> and that turned the company around and it made them a highly successful thing. And motorsports is not doing that kind of approach, that bold, this is what we've got to do, thinking to, to be successful. I 100% agree with that general principle. Where I disagree or where, where I get frustrated when I see those kind of articles is that that's right, but no one ever goes to the next step and goes, well, why aren't we? Um, and this is my, my, my big fundamental problem. I'm curious if you agree with this. My problem with racing right now is that it requires small business thinking to be successful. And what I mean by that is we have to be aggressive in the marketing approach that we're taking, the sort of business development strategies that we're taking because the current model isn't working. Here's the problem with that is that Zappos worked because it was one guy, maybe a team of investors and his very specific vision. It was small business thinking that gave him the freedom to do what he wants to do. The problem is we need to treat the sport. I don't care if you're a team, a series, uh, a manufacturer. You need to have that very aggressive small business thinking, but the problem is it's all done in a big business environment, and that's where we're struggling as a sport. So 
Porsche maybe should consider doing X, Y, or Z with their marketing, but they're not going to because why? Who's controlling it? It's a guy who's a mid-level marketing manager who just doesn't want to get fired. He's not going to sit there and go, oh, shit, we should really make this video or do this PR approach or whatever it is. Um, and, I, and I believe that's fundamentally the problem with motorsport right now is that it's big business incapable of taking small business thinking. Okay, <clears throat> so a couple of things. One is, you know, I reference Zappos as an example of disruption. Right. So I reference Zappos as a way of like, no, you know, we're, we're going to do, we're going to build a business fundamentally on a concept that's never, ever, ever been done before. Right. Okay. And it's either going to fall flat on its face and our investors are going to lose their money or we're right. going to completely revolutionize the e-commerce model. Right. Okay. Which they ended up doing. So big business or small business, whatever. I think that, I think that it, one of the things you have to think about when you're sort of theorizing how to fix motorsport sure. is that it's very, very difficult to lump motorsport into one basket. Completely. Okay? Because NASCAR is very, very different than the World Endurance Championship, sure. which is very, very different than IndyCar and World yeah. Challenge and sure. drag racing sure, sure, sure. and sprint car racing and everything else that you have out right. there. So <clears throat> I think what it goes back to is what is your identity? How do you define success? Right. And I was talking about from the context of the sport from like a sanctioning body side, like we know what's going to be successful for Porsche, right? Porsche's right. trying to sell cars, right? right? Audi's trying to sell cars. Right. Ferrari's trying, they're all trying to sell cars. But this is where NASCAR is a lot different than sports car racing. NASCAR has, and I'm not just, this is not to say that motorsports in general is not an entertainment property, right? but you have to, you have to look at what it is that, that is your brand and what is your product. Okay, so what are you what are you contributing to the world? So for a long time, forever, Formula One and today, Formula One and the world and Le Mans and these World Endurance Championship. This is about technology. It's about innovation, right? It's about showcasing, you know, what the OEMs are doing in their factories. It's about you know the, the, the best road racers in the world. All this all this kind of stuff. So I mean, it's it's the fastest and, and best cars. What essentially was the genesis of my thinking that led me to writing that article? was I was sitting on pit road at, um, I don't know where it was, maybe it was the first Kentucky Xfinity race this year or something like that, and we were at driver introductions. And I was looking down pit road, and I said, there's 40 cars here. So if you add up how much money these teams spent to be here this weekend, these 40 teams, okay, not just variable costs, but what they value a per race right, right. deal for, right, a per yeah. race budget sure, for. sure. You know, it's like t it's like you know five million dollars or something. I don't know <coughs> what the number was, but it's millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Okay. And then I looked up in the grandstands, and there was like freaking five hundred people there. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I think we've all seen that the television ratings are declining and declining and declining. And it's just sort of like, what are we doing here? Right. Like, why are we doing this? Right. It's 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 ultimately. I'm like, this feels like a this feels like a Ferrari track day. Yeah. Right. Right. This feels like a bunch of people coming out and spending money and no one giving a shit about it. Right. 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 So, I, I, so that's kind of prompted the article. So, you go back and you go, what is what is the what is your reason for being here? So, with that being said, when you look at sports car racing, what is the problem right now? And I'm asking both of you. If there if there is if you if you go to if you go to a sports car race, you go to a world endurance race. And there are some great races. Like the last couple of years, Petit's been awesome. Sure. I mean, great. You know, but when you look at it as a whole. What needs to be fixed in sports car racing? I have like tw 10 answers. <laughs> okay, so so what do you think the most important thing is? Because what I'm getting at here is, do you want to be an entertainment property? Do you want to be a sport where like thousands and thousands of people come and buy tickets and, and hundreds of thousands of people watch on TV and it's truly an entertainment property? Because if that's what your goal is, 
racing has some stout competition in this culture these right. days, right? right? People want instant feedback. They want like a lot of action right now. They don't want to do anything for longer than an hour, right? Right. right. <clears throat> and so when I look at NASCAR, I said, you know, if NASCAR wants to reverse this trend, it needs to be way, way cheaper, okay? And then what I mean by way cheaper is take the innovation out of it. Because NASCAR's never been about innovation. Right, right. It's never sure. been about innovation. So why are we at the wind tunnel, and why are we at the yeah, shaker yeah, rig, and why are yeah. we at the in the tunnels doing arrow coast down tests and just all this kind of all this kind of stuff? Why are we doing any of that? I'm like, if we want to truly turn this ship around, it has to be so radical and so out. I, I just my opinion is it has to be so outside of the box that it would almost the sport would almost be unrecognizable. And that's not to turn your back on the history and the heritage tradition, and the yeah, purists yeah. and tradition and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, what if one company owned all the cars and all the engines? And on Thursday every week, the teams went and picked out their car and picked out their engine and all they did was put a setup on it and their driver freaking drove it. Yeah, yeah. And then on Monday, they all take it back. Right. Right? What if we did What if we did all one-day shows? You show up, you practice for 45 minutes. After practice is over, you line up, you qualify, and then you race. And everybody's there for six hours and yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. What if you race on a Monday night? Now, this is a complicated thing, right? right. So it's like, right. so, I, so I think one of the things I thought about when, when I was writing this article is like, what I think the best thing that could happen, and I'm going to make some enemies saying this, if, if they listen to your guys' podcast, I don't know, but. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. But, um, but you Remember know, is almost the best thing that could happen to NASCAR is if the guys that have owned it and run it for the last 50 years just get out, just sell it. Right. Take their money and retire and sell it to a, a large private equity company, a Sequoia Capital or a Blackstone or a KKR or something like that, that's going to run it I like a sports it. league, that's right. going to put a commissioner in charge, yeah, that's yeah. going to take the teams. Right now, the teams are manufacturing companies, well, right. okay, and they and shouldn't yeah. be manufacturing companies. They should be sporting teams. What, what you just said there right. is what I didn't read in the article. In the sense of yeah. like, well, and, and that's yeah. and so my criticism is what you just answered. So that's actually I, I turn that around and compliment you because because all I heard was like this it we would have to do these radical things and blah 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 and I'm like I agree with everything you're saying but it's never going to fucking happen because that's not how it works and the reason why I say that's not how it works is it goes back to my middle management big business argument because if you're asking NASCAR to fundamentally change everything that requires somebody who's living in Daytona Beach who's a you know, middle manager who's making a hundred grand, who's just happy to have his job and support his family, to have him raise his hand and go, "Oh, I got an idea," and like and get and get laughed out. And that's never going to happen. So, to your point, the only way it would happen would be to blow the whole thing up and have somebody else completely own it. And that's what I'm talking about. Disruption is that okay. you have to be willing to fail. I agree. You no, have I to do something. You have to be willing to fail. My theory, my theory is, and I was not, I was not. You know, when NASCAR had their meteoric rise in popularity in the mid '90s, I was right. 15 years old. Right, so right, right, right. I'm with you. Okay, so just to, just to qualify the comment, you know, I I believe that the meteoric rise in popularity of NASCAR was due completely to variables that were outside of what NASCAR was actually doing. Sure. It was a perfect storm of a great economy. Right. There was a great, you had your Dale Earnhardt versus Jeff. You had huge personalities, yeah. Dale Earnhardt versus yeah. Jeff Gordon, right? contrasting personalities. Exactly. Yeah. You had, you know, it, it was relatively inexpensive and the competition yep. was pretty good. I mean, you can make an argument that really the competition from a, from a, uh, time standpoint right. the field is closer than ever but they can't it's hard for them to race yeah, yeah, right yeah, they exactly. can't really go right so they can't really race but and that's within, a whole nother thing and within but the market space you had another series blowing itself up right you yeah. had indycar going indycar yeah, had their uh, creating a lot of problems for themselves 
And so you had all these, this perfect storm and it blew up, right? And right. it's like the NFL was calling Daytona Beach saying, how do you do it, right? right. And all this stuff was happening and they were building new tracks and they were right. putting uh, 200,000 seats around every track. Yeah. And then what happened? And then the economic downturn came. There were big advents in technology that, that sort of altered forever the landscape of young people's attention and what captivated young people, the advent of social media and reality television and all this kind of stuff came in. And all of a sudden, NASCAR had a problem. Okay, we're losing viewers. People are finding other stuff to do. Yeah, right. Well, the problem is when you haven't 100% built your success by a company initiative and a vision of a great leader, then when it goes down, you don't know what to do no right. plan, because right. you didn't build it. Yeah. So you don't know you don't know how it was built. So you don't know how to fix it when it's going down. Yeah. So it's essentially been going down and down and down and down and down. And the problem with NASCAR, and I say this stuff not because I, I have a problem with NASCAR, but because I love it more than you just about, about anything in the passionate. world, and I'm passionate about it being successful. But <clears throat> there is not it's just there's not the right company culture there. Right. right? Like I've met I have gone down to, to Charlotte. I might be digging a grave here for me. I don't care. It's but fine. if you go I might you know, I go down to Charlotte and meet with, you know, driver services and integrated marketing communications departments and all the people that work down there every day. Right. Great people, intelligent people, right? No empowerment. Yep. Right? And um no freedom to think outside of the box to have these initiatives or whatever right. so there's a lot of people working there that that could do great things for the sport and great things for the company that are there because they want nascar on their resume and they're they're working towards that great job at the nfl and the right. nba they're not they're not pot committed lifetime committed to the which sport. falls into my whole middle management concern we about right. talk sports about we talk about this thing. Yeah. Yeah. so i have a term uh <laughs> it's your second term tonight i have a term no but i'm serious um i say this for all of motorsports i don't care if it's stock r f1 wc whatever when I grew up loving, and I loved all forms growing up, what I loved about it was the fearless nature of the sport. And I'm not talking about drivers being big, brave heroes. I'm talking about everything, whether it was, you know, Dale Earnhardt not being afraid of getting into it with a guy to Harvey Postlethwaite not being afraid <laughs> to develop a awesome F1 car with no money and yeah. really, really innovative thinking. He wasn't scared of it failing. He just went out and said, right. Fuck it, we're going to do a high nose, and right. it worked. Um, that all comes from what I think made the sport cool, which is this culture of fearlessness. And that's kind of the term I, I think needs to yeah. come back, a culture of fearlessness, where drivers, engineers, designers, marketing people were not afraid to do what they thought was going to be awesome. And, and I feel like the culture of fearlessness, you know, I don't care if, it's, if we're talking about safety, I don't care if we're talking about marketing, I don't care if we're talking about business development, the, the fearlessness in the sport, it, it, it's lacking every year. I think, I think one of the issues is that, you know, and I, I, I'm sort of skewing this conversation towards NASCAR sure. because it's where I've been the last yeah, couple sure. years, and it's, it's, it's sort of what I wrote the article for. But I think that there, there has been such a reluctancy on NASCAR's part to be selfless and to reach out to great, successful innovators in business and in sport yeah. and to, to get some guidance. I think right. there's too much pride and too right. much narcissism and ego down there going like, well, we're, this is NASCAR. It's a multi-billion dollar company or, and this and that. It's like I'd be calling Dana White. Right now, absolutely. And He's I'd be like, first thing that yeah, I was like, here's a guy yep. that took a freaking five, bought a, Zufus, bought a company Zufus. for five hundred thousand yep. dollars, right, and <clears throat> was incredibly innovative, and yep. now has a multi-billion-dollar property. Who just bought him? IMG or somebody just bought him, yeah, or yeah, CA, yeah, somebody yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Like, just calling him and just say, here's what we're dealing with. Right. You but know, somebody what has do to have do? the balls Help to sit us. there and say that. And that's right. my that's my fear for the sport is that. Can, I really can't think of one guy in that office who'd be like, here's an idea, because he knows he's going to get laughed out. Yeah. And that, and so when I talk about creating an, a culture think. of fearlessness, there needs to be an environment where people are not scared of speaking their minds on, on new ways to do it, right. including somebody just having the balls to go, maybe we're not doing it right, let's call Dana White. 
Well, know, every yeah. great successful business story that I've ever read, and I always skew towards Silicon Valley because it's where it's what my upbringing is. I mean, you know, when you read about the story of a Mark Zuckerberg, or you read about the Eric Schmidt, or you read about you know these guys that that created these these great properties, Twitter, all this kind of stuff, you know, these guys all took tremendous risks. Yeah. So there's no great success without taking a tremendous risk. Now. I believe the chase was a the advent of the chase, and then and then and then the development of stages of the chase. Yeah. Okay, for the Sprint Cup Championship, I think it was like, okay, that's what I'm talking about. That's the kind yeah. of stuff that yeah. we need to do because it creates drama. Now you had a yeah. lot of purists that were like, this is bull. This is you know whatever. But and they're still watching. But the problem is like the purists are growing thinner and thinner. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's Eventually not. Especially when there's no one left yeah. to criticize it, you want anybody yes. to watch any of it. Yeah. You know NASCAR is an aging it's a it's an aging demographic and they're just not do they, they you know they're just not doing enough to attract the young people in right, America right. because young people in America if you present them with NASCAR and the model right now yeah. and like what it's like to go to a race how long the races are where they are right how it works it's confusing right they don't look at it and be like that's like the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life right. I would yeah. ever spend any time doing oh, yeah. that 100%. Yeah. and that's that's terrifying yes yeah for somebody that's personally vested in the sport from a from a motorplex standpoint yeah. and b having businesses yeah. here in north carolina it's just terrifying to me so i mean not to continue to beat a dead horse but i just I, I think it's it's going to take a radical change of culture a radical change of leadership to inflict some change and you're gonna you're, essentially at this point in the sport you're gonna piss some people off and I don't, and I don't want to discredit those people's loyalty to the sport. Sure. But at some point, you're going to have to just think you're starting over. Right. All right. Getting back on to fun stuff. All right. Tell me about <laughs> in a race car. Yeah. <laughs> I've never done that. Really? I've never <laughs> in a race car. I've only pissed once. Okay. Really? I've and? only pissed in a race car once. It was at Portland in 2006 in the ALMS race. What is it about Portland? Yeah. Yeah. Oriole did the same thing. I was really, I was hot and humid, and it was a terribly hot and humid day, and I had to piss, and I pissed, and <laughs> and you could just go, huh? You just tried. Uh, it. I had a mental block for about a lap and a half. Really? Yeah. Okay. And then I loosened my belt on that long straightaway and yeah. kind of lifted my ass up and just sort of relaxed, and it was good. Oh, okay. And then, uh, and then got out of the car. Brian Sellers got in it, <laughs> sat in it for a little while, and then. Uh, you have any idea? Uh. I don't think I've ever told him. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I've ever. I've okay. Actually, to be honest with you, I have never. I have never told him. <laughs> yeah. So Brian Sellers got in. Sat in your seat. Sat in my pee seat and. And now it's on DinnerWithRacers.com. Now it's on the on the record. All right. I think he'll forgive me. I don't know that he listens to this. Someone will hear tweet about him. it. Someone, Someone will tell tweet him. him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Brian Sellers. <laughs> Hashtag PC. First one, first person to, to tweet at Brian Sellers, hashtag PC, will get 100 Riley Bucks. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, 100 nice. I've got a crisp one in my hand right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go on. All right. Um, How are we going to track that? I'm not going to think to look every day for that. It'll be the first one you see. You'll know. You'll know the first one you see. Tag me or Ryan in it as well, <laughs> just so we're cognizant. You'll get a hundred Riley bills. So let me just say one final thing. Oh about boy, that. he's okay. getting into it. I just <laughs> no, no. I just because because are we this, about is, pee this, is, this is something about peeing in the seat. No, uh -uh. <laughs> this is something that's very very important to me, and it's okay. and at one point that I, that I made in, in the last twenty minutes that that I want to stand here is that the most important thing is defining as a series or a type of racing what 
you want to be as a series yeah, and as a type of yeah, racing. Yeah. So as Formula One, what do you want to be? How do you define success? As NASCAR, how do you right. define success? Sports car racing, how do you define success? Well, and, that, so, and that's exactly my problem with the with, with leadership in terms of middle management is that we're too busy checking boxes. Like, well, we need to be this and we need to be that yeah. as opposed to just some fundamentally going, F it, this is where we need to be. Yeah. I have know? a major issue with North American sports car racing being determined by people in another country uh, absolutely. That, that don't race yeah. in North American sports absolutely. car racing. Are you trying to attract fans, or are you trying to attract Tracy Crones, or right. are you trying What's to attract goal? OEMs? That's like, who are you trying to attract? Yeah. I mean, if you want fans, you don't want to have to explain for 30 Anything. minutes Anything. what you are to It should to be self-explanatory. You walk yeah. up, and you see seven rally cars in a yes. stadium parking lot. Right. Or a bunch of GT3 cars that are all, like, the cars you dream about. You, you look at it, and you're and like, track. oh, that's the NSX, yeah. or that's right. the Jag. Okay, yep. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and I have talked about this before in the past, and I was like, okay, this guy and I are kind of the same, and you'll appreciate this because you've been in both worlds. People very rarely understand how badass a stock car is, okay? You came from racing and sports car racing where you got to drive some really cool sh You know, the BMW M3s and, and all those neat cars that they built, as well as other neat, like, Porsches and stuff. Yeah. And you were like, I want to drive a stock car. And now you've driven literally Sprint Cup on the road courses, uh, Xfinity on all the tracks, you know, trucks on all the tracks. Explain how crazy, like, qualifying a truck at Daytona, sorry, uh, Atlanta is, or running in the pack at Daytona, or taking the green at Sonoma in a stock car. Because I don't think fans really appreciate yeah. the absolute badassness that a stock car is. They all make more power than sports cars in sports car racing. Like, yeah. the lowest, what's the lowest number of horsepower in a top tier? Oh, yeah, it's north of 800. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. That's yeah, like yeah. Audi at Le Mans numbers, yeah, right. you know. People don't realize that. They think yeah. dumb rednecks. They don't understand that. Well, so, okay, it's it's a difficult question to answer uh, because it's difficult to articulate the experience. Um, what I would say, what I would say what, make, what, what makes the, the type of racing so impressive to me is that the consequences of getting it wrong are so big? Yeah, right. So if you screw up, a, if you screw up the oak tree corner at VIR right. in an Audi, the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to have to clean the splitter when you come in, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? Or you're going to pop the tire off the bead, or just Whatever. or something like yeah, that, yeah. right? If you get it wrong going into turn one at Texas, you're going to hit the wall at 175 miles an hour. That's and slowing you're gonna down. Destroy, right? <laughs> yeah. Destroying the destroying the race is going to be a hell of a hit. You're going to. I mean, it's just it's so. What it is is it's so sort of set that as the environment, right? And then you have everybody racing cars that are essentially the same, and nobody's scared of shit. Right. That's the crazy thing about that sport. So nobody, I mean, there's no, because the thing is, you're not driving $250,000 race car, uh, sports cars. Right. You know, you're driving a car, you take, if you don't hurt the motor, the thing's worth like 30 grand. That's all the, grand, the chassis. Right? It's you literally the like a route. consumable. Exactly. Like when you go to these yeah. teams, right, the, their, their equity isn't in their race cars, it's in their tools, in their shop, right? Yeah, Whereas yeah. you go to, you know, real time, if you looked at real time racing's balance sheet, like, the race cars on the floor is a big number, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that's, so so it's a big deal if you wreck one of your NSXs. Yeah. I mean, it hurts the company. Right. I have written, all, I have completely destroyed <laughs> five cars this year in Ganassi. This year alone. Yeah, this this year, year alone. This completely. Right. I mean, all, I mean, like, like that big, would big bankrupt. Crashes. That would bankrupt big, big crashes. every team. In yeah, himself and it's, if you that's did not five to say cars, that they don't you know? care. I mean, it's that's that's bad. Yeah, right? no, no, I mean, no, no, that's but a bad thing. Different world. But you have to be. You have to drive into the corner. You know. Every lap, willing to accept that that's going to happen every single time. Yeah. Right. And these right. are these are these are big problems, right? When you crash cars at Dover, I had a huge crash at Dover a couple weeks ago. Yeah, a huge crash massive. at Daytona this year. I, I mean, I, I had some big ones this year, and and that's um, so I think you're like okay, 
Thank you. You know, drive drive a car that doesn't really do anything very well. <laughs> right. Okay. So the sports cars do things. They stop really well. Yes. They turn. It just they do things. They do. They have tons of grip. They do anything really. Well. Stock car doesn't really want to turn. It doesn't really want to do anything. Yeah, yeah. And so you're driving around on a mile and a half track. It's banked 30 degrees, and you're trying to hold it wide open. And the way to go fast is to be in seven degrees of yaw. <laughs> Right. right. You're like right. really right up against spinning out. Like yeah. the more you go, the more sort of yaw you put in it, literally sort of the faster you go. I mean, there's a point of diminishing returns where you're <laughs> just, you're loose and you have to lift. Right. So you're like, all right, well, th that's a tough thing to do yeah. by yourself at a test day, right? So now go three wide into turn one, yes. and who's the first one that's going to lift? No one's going to lift. Yeah, no one lifts. Nobody is. Right, right. Right? So, it, and, and I think that it, it, it has to do with, you know, it's a very different culture of driving and, like, where these, these people came out of. I and mean, yeah. you come out of type of racing, whether you're racing, you know, midgets or sprint cars on dirt tracks, you're racing late models or whatever. Like, you never drove up, grew up driving a fancy car. You're never that worried about the, the financial damage of crashing one yeah. of your cars. You were oh, worried yeah. about hitting your head, yeah. right? Or you were worried about really just losing points. Right. No matter how big of a crash it was, you didn't want to lose points. You know, you've got guys that come out of, come out of that type of culture and that type of mentality. Yeah. And then you, you mix that with the fact that even if you are signed to a Penske or a Gibbs, even if you're a guy like Eric Jones or a guy like, you know, Ryan Blaney or um, I'm trying to think of some of, the, some of these other guys that are signed to big teams that, that essentially yeah, chase yeah, yeah. essentially have made it, like, you know, nothing, you have n you have no security. There's no job security. So so you almost live and die by every race weekend. Right. And so, you know, if you lift, it's almost like everybody's sort of willing to just not lift. And if I crash, I crash or something bad right. happens, something right. bad happens. But if that doesn't happen, then I'm, I've made a, a, a progression in my career. It's just sort of like every corner at every racetrack is the kink at Road America with no yeah. runoff. Right. And everybody's right. daring everybody else to go flat. Like and the one guy's going to do it 150 times in a row is going to win the race. Yeah, exactly right. And that's why Kyle Busch is like I mean, a hero so because the guy what is willing So what to happens is, to that point, it becomes hugely about what's between the ears. Right. Confidence. Right, yeah. right, right. Right, swagger. Like, I got this. Because, because the same race car on the same day in the same situation, if you're hesitant versus I'm the best driver out here, is the difference between winning a race or crashing with the same car, with the same set right. of circumstances. Yeah, yeah. You know, Kyle Busch gets in every race and goes, there's nobody better than me in this race. Nobody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's and I mean, that, that makes a huge, huge yeah. difference. Yeah. Right. So. So explain to the average race fan what the NASCAR shop experience is like. Well, like I said earlier, I mean, anymore, these big cup shops are manufacturing companies yes. more yeah. than anything. I mean, they've got, they have assembly lines and there's, right. you know, engineers and fabricators yeah. and there's a whole, there's a whole system. When you go to a sports car shop, you know, you, you buy this car from the manufacturer. I mean, I, I guess very rarely now in sports car racing, does anybody like, build a car, right? You buy it from really. OEM. No, yeah. Yeah. maybe okay. outside of Bill Riley, that's about it. Right. Yeah. So, so basically everybody buys their car, they get it, it sits on their shop floor, they, they develop it, they set it up, they get ready for the yeah. races, they do right. the kind of thing. Well, you know, the cars in NASCAR, all the innovation and the building of the cars is happening basically under that roof. Yeah, exactly. All in-house. Yeah, all in-house. So you have these. Even down to like K&N teams, like the one that you co-own with, yeah, with H. Scott. Yeah. They build their own chassis yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. That's a K&N team. That's the equivalent yeah, of a Continental right. Tire ST right. series where you would build your own car. Right. Literally, it starts as a pile of tubes. 
Yes. And it used to you be a pile of tubes and, and, got, and right. sheet metal. Now yep. you guys have like a stock. Yep. You can buy a body, right? Like a right. carbon body or something just yeah, to make it easier. Yeah, yeah, it's a fiberglass. Fiberglass, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is still funny to me because it's yeah. not carbon. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's still older technology. Well, that was actually a great cost measure that they did. I mean, you don't. 100%. Yeah. It's a bummer because it cost a lot of fabricators jobs. It did. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think that just sort of harks back to the way NASCAR started, right? Like 40 or 50 years ago, there was no, there was, there, there was very little sort of technology. I mean, I talked to Kenny Wallace about this. I said, you yeah. know, what's the biggest difference 25 years, 30 years ago to now? He's like, you know, there was no engine leasing program. Like, right. We didn't have like, he's like, we built our motor in our shop, put it in our car and went to the racetrack. Yeah. Well, you know, anymore it's these huge companies of development and there's this, you know, there's a path through the shop, right? A part of the shop, you've got like 25 people, you know, lined up on all these surface plates yeah. and they're building these cars and then they get pushed out and they go to assembly, yeah. you know, and then they go to paint and then they go to, uh, or they go to paint and they go to assembly and yeah. then they go to like the setup and then they go to the test team or the final prep and all this kind of stuff. And the pipeline is huge. I mean, you've got entire groups, families of cars that are essentially built to one sort of engineering idea, yeah, right? It's yeah. like, well, let's do this with the front clips geometry-wise. Let's build these cars. And we'll take yeah. them. And if it doesn't work, then whatever. We'll throw them away and kind of <laughs> go down yeah. a different right. path. So that's that's the difference. You walk into that, and it, 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 looks, like a, it looks like a manufacturing facility, I think, yeah. Well, yeah, more than anything. I mean, really, there are – I mean, think about it this way. You know, there are like 200 – I mean, I don't know if my numbers are right. There are over 200 people that work for – Chip Ganassi racing, most likely, and there's like sure. 50 to go to the racetrack. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was exactly. what I was yeah. pointing out. It's like yeah. if you go to Turner's shop on the on the racing side. And by no means are we sliding Turner no. or any team like that. Exactly. But it's the reality of the situation. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, the guys on the the racing side of Turner's shop, all of them are going to the racetrack. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. At real time, I think we have like somewhere in the 20 people full yeah. time, and that I, that might even be high because we've been building a lot of cars to get right. where we are. Um, but like on a full time basis, I'd say we have 18 people in the shop. Yeah. And 16 of them go to the race. Yeah. You know what I mean? And are also doing all this other stuff. And that's the that's the that, that's a challenge in when you're looking from a human resources standpoint or these people trying to build these sort of championship cultures in these companies and this is where Rick Hendrick has done a great job and Joe Gibbs and and Ben Penske's done a great job is that you know, it's difficult to get everybody in a 300 person or 200 or 500 person company fighting together for the same thing and impassioned and driven by the same thing when only a very small fraction of them is going to the racetrack and, and going and everybody else is watching it on TV. Right. So like a big theme within Ganassi is like, how can we get the engineers in front of their computers on the second floor as vested as the pit crew? And yeah. how can we get the guys hanging bodies as vested yeah, as right. the truck drivers? Because they're not getting that at-track effort, excitement right? yeah, that you get. Yeah. But whereas in sports car racing, it's sort of like, it's a, it's a real family. I mean, like at PTG, Nobody like when we were racing, the shop was locked up MT. and the lights were off. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, you know? and to exactly that point, PTG Turner, anything when they win a, when they win the twenty four, every one of those guys gets to stand on the podium. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's and exactly that's right. not going to happen. At that's Ganassi. exactly right. So right. you started out in road racing, sports cars, where you couldn't, you didn't want to hurt the cars, and you go over to stock cars, oval racing, and, and you realize that sort of bending up the cars is part of the culture. So where in that did you decide, okay, now I'm going to start my own team? Well, um, I started, okay, so I, the K&N, so my first race team that I started was a sprint car team right. with Kyle Larson. Yeah. And so I, I, I was always curious in getting, you know, getting involved in race team ownership or, or at least sort of experiencing that side of the business and, yeah. and seeing if it was something that I enjoyed doing. Right. Um, and Kyle and I got to know each other because he, you know, he came out to the GoPro Motorplex a lot when he first right. got to town and first started racing. 
And so we got to know each other. And as he was as he was kind of rising through the ranks, and he was in Xfinity, and and uh, before he'd gotten his Cup deal, and when he was sort of on the verge of getting his Cup deal, you know, he his true passion was sprint car racing, and it's yeah. kind of what I grew up watching coming sure, from St. Sure. Louis before I moved to California at a young yeah, age, yeah. you know, going to dirt tracks in yeah. Iowa and Illinois. And so I loved that kind of racing. And, um, you know, he loved it too. It was passionate about it. It's still his favorite kind of racing to do. Sure, and, sure. you know, but he signs the big cup deal and, you know, they don't want him to really race anymore. Right. But So I, I kind of was thinking, well, you know, here's a great opportunity for a partnership. Like if we start a team together, you know, I can put the business together and I can, you know, figure out how to run the business and, and, and he can help me understand sprint car racing yeah. and find the people, like, right. like what drivers are out there should we get, what right. crew guys, you know, right. the whole kind of thing. And then, you know, he can learn about the business side of it. He stays sort of personally and emotionally invested in sprint car racing, even though he can't right. really do it anymore. Right. And so we started that team, and uh, it's been awesome. Like, it's been an awesome, awesome success. We've, we've attracted some good sponsorship, and we've won a ton of races. We've won, right. like, mm -hmm. in two and a half years, I think we've won over 30 races right, or something right. like that. I mean, the Kings Royal del Doro, a huge, huge race. We've yeah. run top five the knoxville nationals we've we've won i've won all kinds of big races i, I mean I, you know, I don't know how many sprint car fans listen to this but but we've you know we've run the iron man 55 and and uh, we've won all across the united states we won our first world of outlaws race that we entered right. at eldora really awesome so that, that that was a lot of fun um it's not a you know it's it's not a business that you would well that that's try to it's not really a business yeah that, right? that's right. like, kind of let's just it. get this thing to pay for itself sprint okay. car racing is is really interesting because you race for prize money Okay. So if you win a lot of races and do well, you can almost cash flow the team off of well, prize so that money. was kind of my question is you are in theory trying to keep it in the black. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it's like, you know, I don't pay my driver a salary. My driver makes 50% of the prize money. So he's, oh, he's cool. like oh, literally so he's like really personally invested well, that was in what we loved about, every night. That's yeah. what we loved about Clawson so much when we met yeah, him last year right, yeah, was yeah. that he was like so old school and the that's, fact that he's racing for that's his That's what all these guys do. I mean, yeah. they, they, yeah. they, and so, you know, that that's, so it's a, it's a pretty crazy kind of racing, but right. they don't, they don't tear a ton of stuff up because there's, there's some mutual respects. A lot of guys are paying their mortgage right yeah, yeah. Uh, with their prize money so um so i mean it's really fun it got it got me an opportunity to to expand my brand into a new sort of corner or niche of the sport right um, and you know it gave me some good experience in managing sort of people in a competitive sure. environment right. um, okay. so there's still a value to you yeah exactly okay. yeah and then on the k&n side you know that was an opportunity that sort of just sort of fell in my lap based on the based on turner scott motorsports going away which was right. uh steve turner and harry scott um truck team nationwide yep, yep. team and so steve turner got out of the sport and moved back home and then they were trying to figure out how to sort of divide up the assets and there was an opportunity they had this k&n team turner scott motorsports and so harry came to me and said you want to try to carve this k&n team out because it's really successful and wins championships and be a you know be a fun thing to do i can try to get this sort of you know we can find a way to kind of get this kind of out of the favor, out of sure. the, the deal you know, it's the first time in my life where I have been invested in giving the next generation of racers an opportunity right. yeah. to well, succeed. And that, okay, and, and that's, so, that's where the value like, is. So last year we had five cars, and uh, William Byron won the championship. He was right. racing the trucks for Kurt, uh, Kyle Busch this year, right. and he's leading points right now. He's won right. five or six races. Like, yeah. He's Stuck. doing awesome. Uh, we've won races with we won a race with Rico Abreu. Um, you know we've we just you know with JJ Haley, with Justin Haley and Scott Heckard, and we've had like Dalton Sargent race for us, and like it, it kind of set like you know sort of right. set the career in, in motion for a lot of these guys. And then this year we won the championship with Justin Haley, which is really awesome because last year he was beat beat by his teammates on a pretty regular basis, but he really stepped his game up this year and. 
he's going to be stepping up to NASCAR next year and all that. So, so from that standpoint, it's been fun. Right. But, um, but the business has been too difficult to to run and to make any money. We've been losing sure. money at it, right. so we're shutting it down. Well, but that's what I that's what I've always liked about you is like you know your your investments into racing are obviously driven out of passion, but your your import export business, GoPro Motorplex, they're always very sensible. When I look, I'm like, okay, I can see how he's turning a profit with that right. you know you're probably not getting making millions off any of this stuff but they're, they're sensible businesses and so when i saw team ownership i was like oh i hope that works but you're obviously shutting it down if it's not making yeah. sense and so i actually that i have such respect for that call so yeah i mean it's um look there, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that i want to do in my career and um you know i don't it's just i, I don't i'm not gonna i'm not gonna you know kill myself to keep a K&N team yeah. going and Harry's yeah. not going to do the same thing and it's it's one of the things that's really tough about this business that we've got you know 25 plus really good people that work for that race yeah. team and, and so it's like literally Harry and I go like you know this is t too tough to make money we're losing money we're having to put our own money in it to keep it afloat like do you want to do this anymore and him and I make that decision over beers and it affects the jobs of 25 people yeah. that's yeah. a really Livelihoods. really difficult thing right. yeah. there's a lot of You're people 34. in this town that make those decisions and don't give a right, right. Right. There are teams in this town that lay everybody off after the last race and then rehire everybody yeah. a month yeah. before Daytona. Yeah. 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 My common theme I think about with Justin Marks is, is he the next Roger Penske? Is that something you kind of see yourself? It's okay, so let me. So are you lining it, yourself up that It's way? incredibly flattering. So, okay, so how do you define Roger Penske when you ask me that question? Businessman who has a racing program. Okay. And I see that you do enough stuff. But you do B2B deals, yeah. and that's what a lot yeah. of people – that's like the young kid who wants to be a race car driver doesn't understand how much sponsorship – I'm using quotations here yeah. – is actually B2B. Yeah. But you understand how yeah. that works. So um, when you look at guys like Roger Penske and Rick Hendrick, you know, these guys have incredibly successful uh, race teams, and they're thought of as the great race car owners right. of team owners of, sure. of history and, and of our sport, and that's true. But these guys have multi-billion-dollar companies that yes. don't have anything to do with racing. Right? Right. Like they both have incredible dealership networks. Roger right. Penske has his, his truck leasing uh, business and, and a lot of other things. And Rick Hendrick with his automotive, uh, his, you know, his parts and his business yeah. and everything. And, you know, for those guys, you know, for a guy like Mr. Hendrick, you know, Hendrick Motorsports is like my Larson Marks Racing. Mm -hmm. Like it's one of the smaller businesses I have, right? But yeah. people that have spent their whole life in sprint car racing go, you know, this is a big sprint car team, right. the whole kind of thing. But it's like I, I'm sort of cash flowing it from my other businesses. And if we do well, it takes care of itself. It's kind of fun to do. Yeah. Like, you know, I can sort of leverage other relationships to help it. I like going to the racetrack, the whole kind of thing. So if you define Roger Penske as being somebody who has worked really, really hard in his career, identified the competitive advantages and the talents and the skills that he's had and, and worked hard to fully exploit those and build the biggest right. business possible, then yeah, that, that's, I would love to, I would love to try to emulate that in yeah. my, in my life. Do I have the desire, now that being said, do I have a desire to own a cup team? No. No? Not, no. I mean, I, I think. What if you had that kind of disposable income? That's, the, that's sort of what yeah. I'm saying, right? So like. You're not going to do it with go karts, but if like if I just you know if I end up with a business that has a you know two billion dollars in revenue yeah. a year, right? And I'm and I've got all of my vendors and my customers and my business partners are people that would that love racing, then yeah, it's a whole different conversation right. to have. But I'm not going to as a 35 year old in Charlotte with a go kart track and an import distribution business and a sprint car team, 
put all my chips in the basket of one day I want to win a Sprint Cup championship sure. as, a, yeah, as yeah, an yeah. owner because yeah. I feel like, you know. You wouldn't do it unless it made sense. Yeah, it just it's just. Yeah. So look at the owners in the sport, right? It's the same guys right. for the last 25 years. There's really been like no new blood. Sure. I mean, Michael right. Waltrip yep. came in and they did a great job with their race team, but they went out of business. They, right. they couldn't yeah. make it work. Well, yeah. the, the guys who are making it, I mean, I mean, especially Penske and Hendrick, well, yes. say are the two big dogs. Sure. They have these billion-dollar businesses that, to, to your point about B2B, if you have a billion-dollar business, it also means you have a ton of vendors and a ton of network partners that are working through that business. And that's the leverage in motorsports that they can pull that Michael Waltrip is trying to go out and sell sponsorship yeah. on its own can't, can't it's leverage. Too, it's too hard because when you think about, when you think about setting your life on a, on a path to try to have success, as an entrepreneur starting a business and having sure. success it's like you need a you need an idea you need an addressable market yep. you, you need a um, you need some sort of a, a of a, a disruptive uh, visionary idea you need, yeah. you need you know it's like how, how are you you know you need scalability yeah. you don't need those things what but when I when I think of what of what I'm gonna do, you only get one shot at life. I think about what I'm gonna spend all my time doing. Right. You know, it's gonna be like, how do you, how am I going to define success as a cup owner? Yeah. Right. I mean, like, yeah, winning a Sprint Cup championship—that's like the stuff that dreams are made of, right? right? I mean, it's kind of like, but at the end of the day, like, do you have an asset you can sell? Right. Do you have, do you have something that, like, have you built, have you built a product or a service that's going to serve a, a market, a consumer for a long period of time? I mean, you know, what yeah, if yeah. what if one of these, you know, these guys are they're they're a little bit they're when they look at their future, they're a little bit of a slave to their succession plan, right? Sure. Like if there's nobody, these guys are aging. If there's no one to pass the company down to, right? You know, I mean, you're like one or two really big sponsors pulling out, not being able to replace them from going out of business as a cup team at yeah. any given point. Yeah, right. To me, that's not an interesting thing to 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 put the rest of my life into. I agree. So we had lunch. Uh, I guess I would say dinner. Uh, I don't even remember. Two days ago with Matt Hardigree from yeah. Jalopnik. It was a liner. Yeah. That was like a... A liner. It was a liner. A dunch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, his question for you, because we do a pass-along yeah. segment, was if you're a 13-year-old in the USA and you know you've got the goods, you know you can race and win and, and, and you're talented, how do you make it? Is it worth trying knowing the odds are stacked against you? At 13 years and, old, and that comes from a guy that knows that you have a karting and like yeah. company and that whole. Yeah. World. So yeah. at 13 years old, absolutely. Yeah. At 19 years old, no. Yeah. Right. Copy that. That's a great answer. So tomorrow morning we're gonna have coffee and scones. Uh, sure. Ooh. Maybe. Yeah, maybe donuts. Some, maybe we'll some see. some donuts with Marty Smith, who I believe you are familiar. Mm -hmm. I am. If you had any question in the world for Marty Smith, which you had something loaded up, yeah. So um, I'm a big fan of Marty, and I think he's 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 do he is um, he's a great brand in what he does. Mm -hmm. He's a very unique personality in what he does. Yeah. And he has transitioned his career from NASCAR to college football. Yeah. yeah. And he's been killing it over yeah. there. Like I watch him every Saturday morning, college game day, right. and that kind of stuff. And he's doing such a good job. I would ask him as a as a journalist, as an investigative journalist, as somebody that's trying to showcase the human experience and personalities and stories, tell me the difference between the world of college football and the world of NASCAR as it relates to the stories that you're trying to bring to the world. 
So you have not one but two kids now. Yeah. And how old? It's Olivia. Olivia's three, and Presley is Presley. eleven weeks. Yeah, Presley's oh, got wow. that frown yeah. down. Chub, dude. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. that Presley picture. was born like a put, week before you won Mid Ohio, putting right? Putting on the LBs. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, yeah. How has being a dad changed Justin Marks? Um, I think it it, it has made me. Uh, everything that I do, I'm doing now in the context of setting an example for somebody. So I've never had to worry in my life about setting an example for somebody else, right? I mean, you always sort of spend your life looking out for number one. Right. But a lot of things I do now, I think about, you know, what kind of, and maybe this just goes back to my experience with my father and how it's impacted my life. You know, how, how am I going to behave? How are the decisions that I'm making right now going to impact the choices that my daughters make yeah. and the kind of people that they become one day? Right. You know, in professional decisions, in how much time I spend with them, in how I treat their mother, in all that stuff. How are the how are the things that are important in my life going to impact the two of them? Because they've got a front row seat for how you're supposed to live your life. And they're yeah. only going to learn from two people for right. the next 10, 15 years. So I think it's it's that's how it's impacted me, my personality, and how I approach life. Okay, so, so you guys have probably the coolest go kart track I've ever been to, and you let people run in the rain. Yeah. Has anybody been injured yet? Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why you signed the waiver. That's why you signed the waiver. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, nothing, nothing terrible. I mean, we've flipped a couple of the rental cars. <laughs> um, <laughs> We had a guy come do an enduro, a young guy who had a pacemaker, whose, whose pacemaker stopped working across oh. start-finish line. Oh, God. And he went unconscious and, and basically passed out with his foot wide open. Right. Drove straight off turn one, under the fence, turn and one, up, up the hill. Turn oh, one wow. is almost flat. It's almost right flat. Right-hand yeah. kink dogleg yeah. thing. It's badass. Yeah. <laughs> you that don't want to go off. Called the, the helicopter, but he refused treatment. Oh, and, good, um, good. Wait, how'd you get him started again? Huh? <laughs> like, how'd you change the battery? How, it just, it, it has like a, it's like got a self-defib thing on it. Like, if, okay. it, if it can't, it's got a self, these things have like, uh, if they stop, it's got a defibrillator in it. Like, it, it charges it. I don't know how the hell it works, but <laughs> the guy, clear, <laughs> they told me, that, but, but I'm not there. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm at my house, and like, the, the, the call I get is just like twilight zone surreal oh, it's like hey a guy with a pacemaker <laughs> like a pacemaker blew up and he passed out and he went off the property and into the woods and i'm like <laughs> okay i'll be there in five minutes <laughs> ridiculous so he's dead okay what else <laughs> but i know but everybody everybody's everybody's fine. <laughs> everybody's fine okay who who has been the biggest problem to come through there that's a pro where you're like, hey, Bubba Wallace. Bubba Wallace, yeah. really? Yeah. I raced with him there in the yeah. rain. It was ugly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not any. Uh, yeah, Bubba Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> and I like I like Daryl. Yeah, he's I do. A good kid. And we're buddies. He's we're a good friends. kid. But, but, he, but he there's some yeah, shit. there's time. I mean, you know, honestly, when we first opened, you know, a lot of the young guys came out and were like, oh, a new go kart track, and yeah. they kind of treat it like when you go to a go kart track in a town that you're racing and you don't care you go like yeah. uh, disobey all the rules and yeah. you have a good time you get kicked out it's a fun story you don't care because you never go back never again. Go, yeah well they all kind of came to the motorplex uh, like like that. initially that way yeah and i really quickly was like that's not what we're doing here guys <laughs> if you want to go do that go to the indoor place in charlotte goes like somewhere else but like right and so they all, and then they were all fine after that but it's amazing how stories like this can get out and yet no one has ever talked about how johnny o'connell tried to murder dario frank but you know that story no 
Okay, so NASCAR fans, I have, I have weird fan stories, and I'm nobody, and you're nobody too, but you're nobody that gets to race a lot of cool shit. So there's fans that come up because you're wearing a driver's suit. Mm. Any weird NASCAR fan stories? You're not, you're somebody to me. Any weird, like I had a guy follow me in the bathroom once at Watkins Glen and stand in between two urinals where there wasn't a divider, and like asked me for a picture. Uh, and it wasn't Rami. I was gonna say. That, uh, Wait till you hear. Oh, I, well, I saw you talking about there was a slumber party or something like that. Wait, what? Wait. <laughs> so, well, we, do have, he, we do have a video. Hang idea. on. Oh, yeah. yeah. He asked to stay in my apartment. Yeah. yeah. He saw it yeah. on Twitter. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no. Wait. Listen to Ed Carpenter's episode when it comes out. Yeah. Oh, really? It'll be out now, by the yeah, way, yeah. listeners. I'm an okay. idiot. And we have an investment but idea for you. We do. Okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Craziest NASCAR fan experience. So we're at Darlington, and, and I'm at truck racing an autograph session, and you know, so we're like in the deep south, and it's South, you know, rural South Carolina, and I'm driving a Toyota. And, and you're from, you, you were born in St. Louis, is that oh, right? This is what you mean. I was born in St. Louis, yeah. But then you moved out to California. Yeah. Yeah. So you you were raised in California. Right? I was raised in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. So we're in Darlington, South Carolina, doing an autograph session. It's a lot of you know good old boys, right? Yeah. Like sure. flag waving, a lot of Trump votes. And uh, <laughs> so we're doing this. Uh, so we're doing this autograph session, and this guy comes up, and he's like 75 years old, and I like no sh. He's in overalls, like the overalls with no t-shirt, yeah, like, no oh, shirt yeah. underneath him, yeah. like straw in his mouth, the whole wow. kind of thing. Right. He comes Just up, walking cliche. Cartoon, he goes, yeah. Yeah. You Jonas drive. Card. He comes. He goes. You drive Toyota, and I was like, <laughs> Yes. Let me tell you something about Toyota. And I'm like, God, here we go. Here we have yeah, it. Yeah. He's like. Everybody in my town went to go work for a car company, and it was Toyota. And everybody and everybody wanted to work for Ford, and they wouldn't hire them. And everybody wanted to work for Chevy, and they wouldn't hire them. But Toyota hired everybody and gave everybody in my town a job. And for that, I am fiercely loyal to Toyota for the rest of my life. And I was, like, completely – that was, like, the <laughs> one way like, to like, <laughs> qualifying somebody and having it be completely <laughs> the wrong way. Right. And he was like, God bless you, man. Go Toyota. And, like, kept on, like, rebel flag. Patch like the whole <laughs> right. deal. Right. I'm like, wow, that's okay. Yeah, there's nice. that. Yeah, that was really. I remember just being stunned. Right. Yeah. And maybe it just says something bad about me. I don't know, <laughs> or something great about Toyota, but I, I don't know. I just. <laughs> I know you appreciate what we're doing on this podcast. Who do you think we need to interview? Like, who is the guy that you're like, you have to talk to this guy. I want to hear his episode. So if there was, en- okay, so because because if there was any way to get this guy. And it would be hard, it would be really hard to do it, but by far the most amazing person I've ever spent time with in racing as my teammate, stories, personality, everything, Hanstuck. We can get Hanstuck. Can, can you get Hanstuck? My we dad was his crew chief in MC. Okay. Yeah. This, this guy, dude, you need to ask him about Monaco with James Hunt. You need to ask him about Le Mans in the '80s with Derek Bell. You need yeah. to ask him about about uh, going about trimming the wing out on the Molson to get the free steak dinner at the steakhouse on the back of the track for top speed. Or dude, yeah, 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 I'm telling you, this guy, unbelievable. That is actually a good idea. I have all the only downside on. he is unreal. that he's based in Europe. He lives in Switzerland. Well, yeah, yeah, Austria. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, if Continental wants to pay for dinner well, with dinner with Europe, dinner, dinner, with, dinner with racers Europe. Yeah, which is yeah. season eight. season four. Yeah. <laughs> Three. He would be Season pretty three. amazing. He would be great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, Bill Oberlin's got some really great stories. Like Bill Oberlin's stories about running that RX-7 with his old man back yeah, in like yeah. the late '80s, early '90s. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got great stories. He's got great stories about a motor blowing up at Long Beach or something like that, and they they flew a bunch of parts in and rebuilt the motor in the hotel room the night before the race. Right. And a, a, another guest in the hotel room looked out their window and saw them building it through the window oh, thought and it. thought they were putting a bomb together and and called the police and like SWAT showed up and like arrested uh, him and the whole kind of thing awesome. to find out and then found out it was a motor. Give me a 
day in the life of Justin Marks. Tomorrow's Monday morning. Yeah, so um, I will uh, work out. I spend a lot of time working out these okay, days. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right, so now give me the real answer. <laughs> tomorrow's ab day. And then <laughs> 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 uh, I'm just going to do tries for seven hours. Just going to be just, <laughs> just dips, bro. Yeah. Just getting dips in. Uh, <laughs> so I'll work out. And then um, and then I will go to the track. My yeah, office the is, at, is at the Motorplex. Yeah, 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 my office is at the Motorplex. Um, you know, these days, Larson Marks is in town. There's only a couple races left, so when those guys yeah. are in town, because usually they're gone for like three months at a time, but they're, they're sort of back in between races now. So I'll run through there and just go over how the race went with them. Um, we're just starting to kind of figure out 2017, so we're working on planning stuff with them as far as motor builders and some just logistics around the right. schedule and things like that. Uh, operational model stuff. And then I'll spend time at the track um, just getting caught up on communications, just emails and stuff with some projects that I've got going on. Um, and then, I mean, that's really my base of operations is Motorplex. I mean, like, no two days are alike. I yeah. mean, I'll, I'll go to Ganassi. I mean, now that I only have one race left in the Xfinity car, um, which is at Phoenix in a couple of weeks. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to the shop less than I was this summer when sure. I was kind of hot and heavy. Um, I've got two more days at, uh, at the simulator at Pratt & Miller. Uh, which are which is all day stuff. Right. Um, so I'll do that. Um, you know, and then I just try to spend some time with my kids and yeah. and just um you know it's just working on what my racing's gonna look like next year. Yeah, that was my next question. Like Manor. <laughs> um, and I figure I can do Monaco for fifty grand. And then uh, <laughs> I, no. Uh, so next year uh, I am not gonna race nearly as much NASCAR stuff as I did this year. Okay. I'm gonna run. The program I'm working on right now is to try to go defend my win at Mid-Ohio in the Xfinity car. Maybe Road America. I don't know. I'm going to race at Phoenix because this co construction company, our family okay. is doing it, sponsors the car. Their their uh, offices are in Phoenix. Yeah. Their manufacturing facilities in Phoenix. There's sure. a lot of guests that can come. Yeah, so yeah, we kind of yeah. do it as a company thing. Yeah, sure, right? yeah, sure. And you know what I really want to do? I've been thinking about this for a couple of years, and the competition's not strong, and it would more be like it'd be more like going and like, driving a cool car and having some fun yeah. and taking my family. And I've got a meeting about this tomorrow. I want to build a badass double throw down Trans Am one car okay. and go race Trans Am. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, can I spot? It's just, I mean, it's can I spot the, so like that, you know, in TA one, there's, I just, I don't, I don't think the field's that deep. No, it's not. It's not. You're going to win by <laughs> but a lot. I think that the car is awesome. Those guys and do uh, like 208 yeah, at Daytona. So they're like nine seconds a lap faster than the Xfinity cars at yeah, Road America. Yeah, right, right, right. And right. they just, they look like a really, I mean, I actually think it'd be more fun to build the car than to be to drive yeah. it. Like, yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I, so, so I, I think, I think we're going to try to build one of those cars. Yeah. I don't know if I'll do every race, but I mean, it's, you know. Can I do I the one you don't do? Fun. I just yeah. want to drive a Trans yeah, I, I think I it would be, yeah, I mean, really do one right. Yeah. Right. Like get our ECR Hendrick to build the engine uh, and like have it. have have uh, I got a NASCAR team here in town that's gonna basically. <laughs> when, when is this gonna air? November eighteenth. They want to buy a used car, tear it down, be blasted, paint like start over and build it yeah. as like a proper proper. Race Why do I think we're gonna end up having a season three special? Just about this your is goddamn yeah, well, TA1 okay. car. The two million dollar TA1 not, car. No, it's not gonna be that. <laughs> I, I'm gonna try to. I, I, I want to try to build. Honestly, the, the, and it. I I think that I can build a car that's the best car that's been in that series for the last seven years yeah. for half the price that these guys are buying those cars for right now. What's the budget for, for is it World of Outlaws that Washington Mark runs? Yeah, so... Uh, What's the year? Really, to do it right, it's half a million dollars. 
which is actually kind of amazing if you consider the fact that yeah. there's 92 races on the yeah, schedule. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's incredible. Now that, yeah. That's half million in cost or half once you include cash flow. That's no, I mean, that is what, that's what it takes to run my company from January 1st to December 31st Not if we don't about blow prize a motor money. up or destroy a race car. Excluding prize money. That's cost. Okay. That's cost. Right. Well, what right, can right. you win? Uh, well, it pays one hundred fifty thousand dollars to win the Knoxville Nationals every Saturday yeah. night. World of Outlaw show pays ten grand to win. Yeah, yeah. Most midweek ones will like Friday ones and midweek ones will will pay uh, six thousand right. at least. Yeah. Right. I pay my driver half and I tip the guys out if we win. Yeah. yeah. So you um, legitimately can keep us in the black ish. So like Donnie Schatz, who races yeah. for Tony Shots, Stewart Shots, Racing, Shots, yeah. So he yeah. he wins thirty races a year and <laughs> right. most of the Knoxville Nationals. So they. So Tony can basically, and I'm I'm sort of assuming can basically cover the expenses of his race team on prize on money, prize money right. and he has sponsorship. Right. You know, five hundred thousand dollars. I mean, that's everything, right? So that's like what it costs to race. Yeah. What, what you know, workers comp. Yeah. yeah rent yeah. at the shop. I mean, that's right. everything. It's what it costs to run the business. Half for the million year. bucks, ninety-two races a year. Yeah. Okay. I got three full-time guys. Cool. All right. I yeah. just need to know what I need to what I need to race. Dude. I I've, I have not driven one of those cars. Why yet. have you not driven like uh, all of your shit? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I <laughs> that <laughs> thing almost scares me. I'll be honest yeah. with you. That thing is un. Like if you sit in one of those cars, yeah, you just sit it's in so it and like and look around. Yeah. And look at how exposed you are, and look right. where their tires are, yeah. and that you're like you're just straddling the drive shaft. Yeah. And the thing's got like freaking 900 horsepower, right, yeah. and right. you're going 152 miles an hour to half mile dirt track. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's insane. It, yeah. It's it like, like super nowhere. Super impressive racing. Yeah. All right. Continental's got the check. Yeah. <laughs> was that okay? I felt I, I, we didn't do a lot of laughing, but I felt like there was some good philosophical content uh, on the, that the, one. The reality is, is that laughing is is fine and it's yeah. good, but most people don't actually expand on how to fix the sport. Yeah. yeah. The best thing about your episode so far, just listening to it now, was like not just an opinion, but a well thought out and explained yeah. opinion, versus like the marketing idea behind IndyCar. We need more marketing. Yeah. Okay, what do you need? Uh, yeah. You marketing. know, you literally broke it down. So, well, you know, hopefully it's it's th thought provoking, and I mean, I I don't I'm not the first one to say that I've got any answers, um, that I've got the right answers, I should say, for for the sport. I know it's a complex problem, and I know that new technologies and new demands from the American consumer need to be really intelligently right. taken into account right. when people think about it. So, you can agree with some of the stuff I say or disagree, but if if it at least gets people thinking, yeah, then then it's uh, served a purpose. Wow, that was such a great episode. That guest really knew how to tell a story. Did you like that, Justin Marks, Ryan? Good. I'm glad you did. And thanks again. I'm not even going to bother saying it. You're welcome, Sean. I'm right here. All right. Thank you to Justin Marks for uh, hooking up with us when we were out in Charlotte. And, uh, you know, I've, I've known Justin now for almost eight years, and he's truly one of the, the smartest guys, as you heard, in the paddock. And it's funny. I think he came in hoping to sort of tell funny stories and, and, and you know, show that side of him because it absolutely exists. Uh, and it's, it's kind of funny to me how the, the episode ended up becoming probably one of the smarter more philosophical ones of, of the whole series but uh but that's because he's he's got that much range and he's that diverse of a guy in terms of his thoughts and thinking process and that sort of thing funny smart super insightful and uh just a, a really good guy to spend time with so all right we're gonna get out of here uh we are going to return to a uh, paddock mechanic by the name of kyle leo uh, kyle is a member of a band called the suspect 
they have a, a bunch of stuff available on SoundCloud. Uh, here's one of those songs called Should Have Loved You. <laughs> 